0: As we get into our, back into our book, you know, we're entering into chapter 5, the last chapter of 1 Thessalonians. Um, and really, we're going to only cover a few verses today um, because I felt as I was studying it, uh, I felt that it would be important for us to take a step back because Paul is going to talk to the Thessalonians and say... Hey, regarding these things, you already know everything you need to know. And I realized as I was reading it, I don't know everything I need to know about that. And I thought maybe y'all might feel the same way. And so we're going to take a step back and really look at what is the day of the Lord, because that's kind of the centerpiece of this passage, so that we can understand what is Paul referring to? What is the Bible referring to when we see that phrase? Um, it's, it's a concept that um, is all the way back in the Old Testament, throughout many of the prophets, Jesus speaks of the, the events of the day of the Lord, and ultimately the, the day of the Lord is culminated in the events in Revelation. And so it's a, a really important doctrine for us to understand. It's a really important concept for us to understand, and I'm hoping that I can can package all this information together in a way that actually makes it useful for you the reality is is I could I could understand some of Tom's struggles sometimes when he gets a passage and he says oh wait I got to step back and then he could spend three weeks you know helping get the concept and the background because I felt like there's so much here I could spend a lot of time on the day of the Lord but we're not going to go multiple weeks we're going to go to, to it this week. So on your handout, we're, we've got the outline, kind of what we're talking about today. On the back, we'll cover some of this information. But really, this is here for your own edification and study where you can go and look up these verses where the day of the Lord is referenced in the Old Testament. And you can, based on hopefully some of the principles we talk about today, can analyze and figure out what is the day of the Lord talking about in that case, because it's not always the same thing. And so we want to make sure that we understand that better. We understand the Old Testament use of the day of the Lord. We understand Jesus's use and his description of the day of the Lord, and then ultimately figure out or know what should we do with that information. Um, and that's that's really my goal for today: is that we would would see that big picture and and try to get a better understanding of what's uh the expectation now the day of the lord is referred to four times in the new testament but 19 times in the old testament and much of the day of the lord the first or one of the the references is in acts 2 where it's literally quoting the old testament uh Two of the times are in Thessalonians, right? 1 Thessalonians 5.2, which is where we are now. 2 Thessalonians 2.2, which is where we'll be soon as we roll into 2 Thessalonians after 1 Thessalonians. And both of them just basically refer to the day of the Lord. But again, they don't describe it very much. 2 Peter gives a little bit more description. uh, 2 Peter 3.10. But there's a lot that they kind of take for granted that we understand And I think that's because they, like Paul, believe that the the Jews at that time would have understood what the day of the Lord was, would have understood that, and mostly that would be because they understood the Old Testament. Um, They may have heard or started hearing or seeing some of the writings of uh, the Gospels. You know, Mark was starting to be distributed at that point. Maybe they had heard some of Jesus' teachings, but it's likely that a lot of what the Thessalonians knew came directly from the Old Testament and from Paul's teaching while he was there. And I thought it was interesting. You know, eschatology, the the doctrine of the end times, is not something that I'm super knowledgeable about. I've always kind of felt like, oh, well, that's, you know, that God's going to take care of that. He knows when that's going to happen, so whatever. And I haven't really spent a lot of time studying it. But I found it interesting that Paul, in the short time he was with the Thessalonians, taught them about end times, you know, and, and taught them about these things, and I thought, wow, that's, that's interesting. Maybe I need to change my perspective on this, that it's not a, oh yeah, afterthought type doctrine, but it's something that's vital and important, and I've certainly enjoyed learning a lot in my study on this. So as far as the, the day of the Lord in the Old Testament, like I said, there's, there's uh, 19 references. They are... Included in the, the passages here. I've given some context, so I didn't just put the verse that the, the actual word, the day of the Lord, exi- you know, shows up in, but I gave you a little bit of the context on that because the context matters a lot. Um, understanding who's writing, who they're writing about, and what is the fulfillment of that is vital for us. And so I want to make sure that we understand that. So, as we're going to consider a couple of passages out of these nineteen references, we're only going to cover five or six, okay? Because there's just not not enough time to go through all of it. But I want to start in Ezekiel chapter thirteen. In Ezekiel chapter thirteen, we have God. Declaring his wrath on the nations. And ultimately I'd like to read the whole thing. But I can't. Because if I read all the things that I'd want to read. We'd we'd be here forever. But here in Ezekiel chapter 13 verse 9. Let's start in verse 8. It says therefore says the Lord God because you have spoken falsehood and seen a lie therefore, therefore behold I am against you declares the Lord God so my hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and utter lying divinations they will have no place in the council of my people nor will they be written down in the register of the house of Israel nor will they enter the land of Israel that you may know that I am the Lord God it is definitely because they have misled my people by saying peace when there is no peace. And when they build a wall, or, or when anyone builds a wall, behold, they plaster it over with whitewash. So tell those who plaster it over with whitewash, it will fall. A, flood, a flooding rain will come, and you, O hellstones, will fall, and a violent wind will break out. Behold, when the wall has fallen, will you not be asked, Where is the plaster? with which you plastered it. Therefore, says the Lord God, I will make violent wind break out in my wrath, and there will also be an anger of flooding rain and hailstones to consume in its wrath. Now, guys, he's talking, this is obviously God's judgment, and we need to understand that most of the time when we have the day of the Lord, it is the judgment of God. In this case, this is specific to the false prophets in Israel. As the leaders of the, what should have been the leaders of the church, the leaders of Israel, were teaching, they were saying things that were wrong. They were prophesying that, that what they were doing was okay and that God was satisfied. They were saying, peace, safety. And yet God says, no, there is no peace. I'm bringing destruction. So when Ezekiel is talking, he's speaking specifically of God's work against Israel. And we can go into, again, there's so many different, so much context to go through. But we need to understand that as, as Ezekiel gives us a context, understand that God is going to judge people. And he calls that judgment, that's, that, that harsh judgment, the day of the Lord the reality is, is it wouldn't always happen immediately. Sometimes there was a near future or what they call a near future uh, fulfillment. In other words, a prophecy would come and it was fulfilled within 30, 40, 100 years, which may not feel like near to us, but it, it is in the prophetic timeline. You know, sometimes it was the Assyrians coming and overtaking Judah and Israel. Sometimes it was the Babylonians coming and taking away the faithful and casting them out. But many times he's speaking, too, of the end, the final day of the Lord, the final judgment. And so if we turn into the the minor prophets, which um, are not minor because they're minor, they're minor because they're short. Um, shorter than the, the Jeremiah and Ezekiel and, and that kind of thing. But if we turn to the book of Obadiah, Obadiah is actually the earliest Old Testament reference to the day of the Lord. Obadiah's message was one of judgment against the Edomites, which really means it was kind of a family dispute. right? If you remember, even in... in Genesis, we talked about Edom and Israel and the battles, the fights that they had, even as family members. And now this is the the culmination of that. So during the reign of Jehoram, Edom revolted against Judah. They crowned their own king and basically said, we want to be completely independent. And Obadiah was sent as a messenger, a prophet to the nation and so in verses 1 through 14, we really have a description of the coming destruction of Edom. And again, we're not going to be able to read all of that, but the first couple of verses tell us who we're talking to. It says, the vision of Obadiah, in verse 1, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and an envoy has been sent among the nations, saying, Arise, and let us go against her for battle." Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You are greatly despised. And the rest of that section, as we go through those 14 verses, it talks about the Lord destroying Edom. It's very specific. There's very concrete things that point to this being about Edom and the destruction that was facing Edom. But then there's a change. In the, verse 15, it changes. And that's one thing we have to understand. When we read the day of the Lord, when we read these prophecies, sometimes it's speaking about near, sometimes it's speaking about far, and sometimes it does both. I kind of imagine it as I was thinking about it. There's passages, especially when we get into Joel. Well, it's almost like you, know, you see in movies sometimes where they'll, they'll, they'll focus in on one person, but you can see kind of a blurry person behind their shoulder And then they'll refocus and suddenly that that person that's farther back is in focus and this person's blurry and then they'll adjust it again. And so it's it's almost like that, that as the Lord is talking through this coming destruction, he's seeing the destruction and prophesying the destruction that's coming now on those nations, whether that's Edom or or the other nations that are fighting against Israel. Then he's pointing to or seeing the things that are going to be in the future, long distance away. And then he'll pull back into more current or near future events. And so that's what we see here. Obadiah starts out with, with the current things against Edom. And then in verse 15, it says, For the day of the Lord draws near on all the nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your dealings will return on your own head because, you, or because just as you drink on my holy mountain, all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and swallow and become as if they never had existed. And when he's talking about drinking and swallowing, he's not saying nice, refreshing water there. He's talking about drinking the cup of God's wrath. So we have this picture as, as Edom is being destroyed or is, is, is set aside for destruction, God says, now that's a picture of what's to come. That's a picture of what faces all nations, all peoples that set themselves against the Lord. And it goes on to there to, to discuss how that works out. And then the, the last section, verses 17 through 21, really talks about what happens to God's people in this situation and again in this is long view and it says but on mount zion there will be those who escape and it will be holy and the house of jacob will possess their possessions and it says verse 20 and the exiles of this host of the sons of israel those who are among the canaanites as far as uh zarephath and the exiles of jerusalem who are in Sheparad, who will possess the cities of the Negev the deliverers will ascend Mount Zion to judge the mountains of Esau and the kingdom will be the Lord's and we have this picture of God's people finally pulled back together finally set on a high seat of blessing and it gives us a picture of what when God is talking about the day of the Lord will happen it really is first of all it is a judgment for his people I'm sorry for his enemies it is a judgment for his enemies that he will cast down those that stand against him that stand against his people but it is also because of that ultimately there will be blessing for God's people right as the, the the Babylonians get cast down it causes good things to happen to the Israelites Right? They get to go back home. They get to live in their land. Ultimately, they rebuild the temple. They rebuild the walls. They, they can possess Jerusalem again. And that's a blessing. There's a lot of debate as I studied through this whether the, the blessing is truly a part of the day of the Lord or is it just because of the result of the day of the Lord. I'll, ultimately, I'll let you all decide. Okay. I, I'm not going to propose myself to be an expert in this. I will say I learned a lot. There's a, a professor that teaches at, at uh, Master Seminary named Richard Mayhew. Um, I actually found a copy of one of his papers that he wrote when he was getting his Masters of Divinity. Um, and uh, it was very helpful of looking through the day of the Lord in the Old Testament and helped me understand it. And even he said, I'm not going to be comprehensive. I'm not going to tell you everything that could possibly be told The reality is we don't know exactly how God is viewing it. We know that over and over again, we see the picture of God declaring judgment on his enemies, God bringing judgment on his enemies, and God's people being blessed. So I feel like that's a pretty good pattern, right? And we know, even as we've started going through, or been going through Revelation, Tom's been teaching through that, we know we can anticipate that future, that, that there is ultimately and finally going to be God's enemies judged and cast down by the work of the Lord and then there will be blessing for all of his people. And so it's a, it's a wonderful truth to consider but it is also a challenging truth, right? It's difficult even to consider people being destroyed and those kind of things. Uh, but I want to look at Joel, as our our kind of last Old Testament example, if I can find it here, I get confused, I need to memorize my Old Testament uh, minor prophet order again, I had it flagged and then it fell out, it's after Hosea and Joel, there we go, Milt's helping me out, there we go, you know, it's, it's one of the things I could say it like if I had to recite it, I probably could do it. But in the midst of right now, you know, it, it, uh, it goes away. And Joel's a really interesting book because we see a progression. We see that the, the day of the Lord is used differently throughout the book. And really what we see is almost like a crescendo or a climax that as he starts out in chapter one, He's really talking about a a near future event, right? Judgment for God's enemies at the the time period. As he moves into chapter 2 and chapter 3, we see things happening and described that obviously are far different than that. And so I want to read just a couple of sections to you. In Joel chapter 1, verses 15 through 17, it says, "Alas Alas for the day. For the day of the Lord is near, and it will come as destruction from the Almighty. Has not food been cut off before our eyes? Gladness and joy from the house of our God. The seeds shrivel under the clouds. The storehouses are desolate. The barns are torn down, for the grain has dried up. And he goes on and talks about the, the, the desolation and destruction that is coming. In the nation, but it's it's grain, it's animals, it's water, it's things that we see and touch on a regular basis, and so we see this is more of a, a near future at the time of Joel. Understand, now for us we look back and that's that's happened, right? These have been fulfilled already. As we go into chapter two, it says in verse one, blow a trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming. Surely it is near. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. As the dawn is spread over the mountains, So there is a great and mighty people, there has never been anything like it, nor will there be again after it to the years of many generations. A fire consumes before them and behind them a flame burns the land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but a desolate wilderness behind them, and nothing at all escapes them. Well now we're getting yes, ma'am. I, I just want to make sure I have this clear in my head.
1: And and that's it. The, the rapture, the day of the Lord, and the the second coming, they're all three different things. Correct? Yes, ma'am.
0: They are. Okay. That Sorry. Yes. Yeah, sorry. So years
1: until right now i always thought the rapture and the day of the lord were all one thing yeah that so will be risen but then, then you're going to have a really hard time like that but now you're seeing 1 2
0: three. yeah there's there's a progression there and and tom does a great job i mean he i, I listened to some of his uh lessons he taught a f- several years ago for men of the word and it was like a total of about 6 hours of teaching on eschatology right the the process of that but yeah when we talked about in chapter four the rapture that is its own event right then after the rapture comes the day of the lord and comes the judgment right because he's taking out the believers and that's where we get a lot of the content of revelation is really going through that tribulation period and that judgment period then at the final right the end of all things Jesus comes back and he destroys Satan and all that and he creates the new heavens and the new earth and, and everything. So, that, yeah, there there is distinctions there that, yeah, I'm sorry, I, I probably should have given a bigger, bigger overflow. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, it's important to know that, right? And, and some of this is, this is why when we talk in, in, in there and Paul says comfort each other with these words, right? The hope of the rapture is... In part, a hope that, hey, we won't have to be here for the destruction that is coming. If we are believers in Christ, we will be raptured out if we're still alive. You know, those that are already dead in Christ will, are, will rise first, but we will be s- with the Lord in the air. Right. And we will see, as Paul or Tom's talked about it in Revelation, we will see that destruction. We will be amongst those in heaven you know, praising his name and worshiping God, but we will not be there. And thank the Lord for that. Yes. You know, I so...
1: I just thought the word rapture somehow meant bad.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Until I really started studying. And then yeah. suddenly I realized, no, that's the good part. Yeah, that's the that's yeah. the best part. Yeah. <laughs> it's bad for some reason. Yeah, yeah. Rapture no, it, <laughs> it, it, <laughs> sounds like a harsh word. <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, that's great. And, and again, yeah, it's it, for for believers, for faithful, those that are faithful in Christ. It is a wonderful hope that whether whether we're to die and be with the Lord or we're alive when the Lord, you know, when the rapture happens, either way, we will be with the Lord and we will avoid this great tribulation that is to come. Yes, ma'am. Amen. Yeah, so there's there's a... I'm not prepared to go through the full time because I've studied it a lot, but I'm not great on that. Yes, Mill?
2: Yeah, when we talk about the kingdom, there's... Uh, you can look at it in three aspects. Uh, God is the ruler over everything, even that. God is the sovereign ruler over the entire universe, even at this point. You would call that the kingdom of God. There's another aspect of the kingdom, and that is the kingdom of Jesus Christ which is where Christ rules and believers even now in, in their hearts. For example, there's a spiritual kingdom, which is what believers are enjoying right now. It's the realm of salvation in this context, where we as believers are in the spiritual kingdom even at this moment, the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then we'll have the rapture where Jesus will descend in the air, and those who are dead in Christ in this era, died in Christ in their spirits or souls will come with him, and their bodies will be resurrected. And then those of us who are alive and remain when that happens will be caught up together with them in the clouds and will ever be the Lord. We'll be transformed also. So in, in a sense, we talk about the, uh, the return of Christ, you can look at it that's, actually as two aspects. The rapture, which Christ does not descend to the earth, but he goes back to heaven and takes the resurrected saints as well as the remaining saints on the ground. At have had them transformed back to heaven with them with them for the seven-year period of the tribulation. And then at the end of the tribulation period, then he will come, Christ, and we will be with him, resurrected, glorified, and so forth to the earth. And then he will bind Satan, and he will already have, he will throw the beast and the false prophet in, into the lake of fire. And then he will establish his kingdom physically on this earth on David's throne And is
1: that the same
2: That's, That's the second coming. So he returns to the earth. It'll be a physical kingdom. We're okay, talking that's about reigning There's a lady that comes
1: in other day that uh, you know she said she's a believer, but she said uh, Christ has always come to the earth. His second coming is here. I said, no, ma'am, he's not. Yeah, he yeah. Is. So, because I was like thinking about that, this long study, you know. But I was just, you know, she was telling me other heretical things too. But that's I don't want <laughs> to go off
0: on that. Yeah. So thank you. So yeah. yeah no. That
1: was very. Yeah,
0: no, the, the end time events, you know, there's a lot of, you know, there's the millennium and there's, there's multiple things to consider. So um, I'm doing a, probably a poor job of giving you the, the overall context of that. Um, the nice thing is, is much of the second Thessalonians is about end time events. So we'll get lots of time to hash this out and really tropefully confirm and learn in our minds the truth of what Scripture teaches. There's a lot of misinformation out there. There's people, I'm sure you've experienced it in your life, where pastors and teachers have said, okay, the Lord's coming back in 1982. The Lord's coming back in 1984. The Lord's coming back in 19... You know, there was a lot of that, it seems like, in the late 70s, early 80s. You know, I I ran across a book that is declaring for sure that Jesus is coming back, the day of the Lord, the final day of the Lord is in 2036. And he's a 900-page book Where he has studied this all out and he figures he's figured it out just like Daniel's 70th week he's got it just exact and it's like guys you know spoiler alert Jesus clearly said no one knows (laughs) no one knows and we'll get to that in a minute but understand you know like and that's that's where part of me says well if no one knows then why bother but I, I feel like that's an that's a immature response. Really, why bother is because we need to praise the Lord for who he has revealed himself to be. And we need to realize the hope that we have and realize, ultimately, to y'all's point, the next major event in all of the end times is the rapture. Where in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, right, all believers on earth are gone. And the earth is ushered into a seven-year period of horrific Judgment. Yes. And we'll talk about what, what does that mean for us as believers, because we won't be here, but it should impact us as, as far as how we live today. OK, now we'll, we'll jump just quickly to, to the last section of Joel. Again, we're not going to be able to go through all of it, but in Joel chapter three. In verse nine, it says, proclaim this among the nations, prepare a war, rouse the mighty men, let all the soldiers draw near, let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am the mighty man. Hasten and come all you surrounding nations and gather yourselves here. Bring down, O Lord, your mighty ones. Let the nations be aroused and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, tread, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitude, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. And guys, this is again a picture of that final... Day That final coming of Jesus when he comes back to judge physically the nations of the earth and it's going to be shown by things that we would call cosmic signs and revelation deals with that a lot but it says in verse 15 the sun and the moon grow dark and the stars lose their brightness right things are going to happen that are unique that have not happened in these past events. And so we see, even in Joel, this picture of the day of the Lord used multiple times, and sometimes it's that near view, sometimes it's that far view. And so we really have to study it to understand and make sure we don't make assumptions or miss what God is saying. Now, I do want to point out, especially in the book of Joel, but really in many of the other passages, that God also is calling his people to be prepared for this day. So in, in Joel chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, it says, "'Gird yourselves with sackcloth and lament, O priests. Wail, O ministers of the altar. Come, spend the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God, for the grain offering and the drink offering are withheld from the house of your God.'" Consecrate a fast, proclaim a solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. He is saying, nation of Israel, you need to prepare yourselves, right? We know that the nation of Israel had lots of problems with failing to follow the Lord. Following and chasing after idols that even the priests and the ministers were were failing to do what they'd asked. And God says, you need to be ready because this destruction can come for you. In chapter two verses verse thirty two. It's back up to 30. I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth, blood, fire, and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it will come about that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be those who escape as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls, and again, there's this picture that within the destruction, God will deliver and rescue some, but it's those who call on the name of the Lord, those who have responded to Him. In verse chapter three, verse sixteen, after we just read, the sun and the moon grow dark and the stars lose their brightness. Verse sixteen, the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem and the heavens and the earth tremble but the lord is a refuge for his people a stronghold to the sons of israel and we have this picture again of god's people being protected if they're right with him if they are, have submitted themselves to him then they will be safe protected even blessed like I said, there's a lot of other passages and some wonderful things for us to wrap our minds around in in the Old Testament regarding the, the, the day of the Lord. But we have to move on because we don't have enough time to go through all of it. And so really, we have the next time that, that we really start to understand what is this judgment, this judgment that's coming. And really, it comes out of Jesus's mouth. And again, there's going to be more than we can even go through all of this. Okay, because really Jesus in in a couple of places teaches through basically the end times timeline and then all of Revelation basically (laughs) expands that and gives more detail to it. But if we turn to Matthew chapter 24, this is a helpful picture of these end time events. In Matthew chapter 24, I'm going to read the first three verses. It says, Jesus came out from the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to the, point out the temple buildings to him. And he said to them, do you not see all these things? Truly, I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. And as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And so the disciples are confused. They don't know what's going on. Part of it is in the Old Testament, the distinction between Christ's first coming and second coming was not always clear. The reality is, is is the entire period that we exist in, the church age, was a mystery to the Old Testament. Right? Paul has said that, that, that this was something that wasn't known in the Old Testament. There was not a time that said, oh, okay, there's going to be a couple thousand years or so where the Gentiles and, and there's a new building that's Jews and Gentiles together that God's people will not just be the nation of Israel. That was a mystery. It wasn't in the Old Testament. And so they often saw, okay, they, they know something about the suffering servant, right? They know Isaiah 53. They know there's going to be something happen, but they also know that the king is coming. And, and a lot of times they thought that was going to be like back to back. They didn't understand the big division of time that God had planned. And so as as they're talking to Jesus, they kept asking and you, you read through the Gospels this multiple times. So, OK, is this it? Is this the time the kingdom's coming? OK, you know, I know you're saying you're going to die, but is it about to happen? Is, is, is this going to be it? Are we going to be on the thrones with you, Jesus? And you can hear the excitement in the voice of the, the disciples as they're trying to put this all together and they're starting to imagine. Oh, we won't be under Rome anymore. We won't be, we won't be under persecution anymore. We'll finally be what God has promised all these generations before. We'll finally be there. And so they kept asking, well, when's this going to happen? Tell us about it. What's going on? And Jesus is going to explain it to them. And so we, we, we've got all sorts of things about his coming. And really, again, I don't have time to go through this, even this entire chapter. Because there's so much information in here. But just to give you a general outline, we, we have the, the birth pangs, right? Which we've already heard the day of the Lord described as birth pangs. Jesus uses that term, or the Old Testament uses that term a lot, but Jesus uses it here. That, that it's gonna come suddenly. And it's gonna come, you know, w- with a, a certain amount of urgency. And if you've ever, you know, been pregnant or been around a pregnant woman who starts giving birth, right? It, there's an urgency there. It's not like, oh, I'll wait a couple of days. We'll just get to it later. No, it's going to happen when it happens. And then in verses 9 through 29, we really have this picture of the great tribulation, right? This judgment that comes and includes the abomination of desolations and, and things that Daniel had already referred to. And, and he, he says in verse 21, he actually calls it the great tribulation. That's where we get the name, right? Is, this is the great, this is the final, this is the, the, the ultimate tribulation, And then in verses 30 through 44, we have Jesus's return, right? The second coming. And what is that going to be like? In verse 36, I want to point out again, just to to realize we don't have to know this because it says, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, right? So we don't need to be trying to figure out. Don't get your math charts out your abacus and figure out what day it might be. But we need to be ready. Yes. We need to be ready. And that's the other part that Jesus talks about is that, that we have to be ready. You know, throughout, the old te- or throughout the Jesus ministry, he used multiple parables to talk about the end times. And to talk about being ready. He talked about the virgins. and He talked about oil lamps. And he used all these pictures of what it's going to be like. But ultimately, he's saying you have to be ready. Verse 42 says, therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. Right. This is true for us, just like it was for the disciples. We don't know. So be on the alert. And then we have in verses 45 through 51, the the final judgment. Right. Where we end with uh, the the. The evil ones, the ones that have rejected God, will be cut into pieces and assigned to the place with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Right? And he goes straight into the parable of the ten virgins, which is a parable of the end times. About being prepared, being ready. Matthew chapter 16 also talks about some of these, these uh, these lessons, Mark chapter 13 also talks about these things. We don't have time to go through all of that because there's just so much there. But we see some of the same themes in Jesus's teaching about this as we saw in the Old Testament. Right. Judgment from God for the sins of the people. Right. God will judge the sins of the people. We also have now this eminence, right? Does everybody know what eminence means? Yes. Yes. Uh,
3: something that he's showing us that it's gonna come. Yeah. Shake it up. <laughs> Open up your eyes. Yeah. See what's gonna happen. Yeah.
0: It's 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 about to happen, right? You can almost imagine. It's like drawing in the breath to speak the next word. It's imminent. And guys, we need to understand it It may feel like, well, now it's been 2000 years, you know, maybe the Lord's not coming back. Maybe this is, you know, but no, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that this is this could happen today. You know, as I was studying through this and and obviously the new year, new calendar, you think about all the things. What am I wanting to accomplish this year? And and I was honestly struck for the first time, really just it, it resonated in my heart. This could be the year that the Lord comes. You know, it could be that we don't all make it to 2024. You know, I don't want to be a downer, but it's like that. That's the reality is we need to realize it's today could be the day. And, and for us as believers, we should say, yes, come Lord Jesus. You know, like, OK, I'm ready. You know, I'm ready in some ways to be done with this life. But but the reality is, is eminence is vital because if we don't, if we lose the, the sight of eminence, if we lose the reality that, that Jesus could come any time, we lose the urgency to live the right life. We lose the, the motivation to do what God has called us to do as his followers. Could I
2: just put that, a little end on that? And I, I think of this as the year's end and the beginning of the new year. Uh, well, I think, well, I'm ready. Lord, just take me now. But then on the other hand, you know what? There's people on my prayer list that I haven't That's talked right. to yet. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so if that if the rapture happens, I'm not here anymore. I'm not going to get to talk to them. Yeah. So it, it, being ready means I'm personally ready, but it also means have I done all that the Lord has left for me to do uh, while I'm here? Yeah. And of course, he's the ultimate decision maker on yeah. that, but, but we should be ready. We should be those players, we and, be and, those and in a way. yeah.
3: And in a way it's gonna be like a responsibility. Responsibility that each one of us uh-huh. have. Because we have a lot of people that we love and even we know that if the Lord comes today, they're gonna be out of his uh, blessings and we are gonna be responsible because we didn't show them the possibility to get the little raptor, right? Yeah. So hmm? in many things we have to think
0: about. Yeah, absolutely. And that's really where we're going right now. As we, get, we got to, No, that's, it's great, because it should lead us to that, right? The recognition that, that, that this destruction is coming to those that don't believe, right? That the day of the Lord is imminent should cause us to think about, but what about those people that don't know the Lord? That's right. right, that's the right response. If we're just saying, Whew, at least I'm out of it. I don't have to worry about it. That's the wrong response, right? Our, our response should be, wow, if that's true, and, and this is what the t- scripture is teaching, then boy, I, I've got some work to do, right? I've got some calls to make. I've got some people I need to talk to. Not that I can just convince them to come to the Lord, you know, like that. But boy, maybe that changes my urgency yes. of how I discuss things with them, what I discuss with them, you know? Maybe it's less about, you know, family and health and those kind of things and it's more about their eternal soul. Yes, yes ma'am.
1: 3.9. The Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness. Yeah. But his patience My neighbors, and my people at work, because we have an opportunity to share this glorious hope, as we found out last um, year in the conference, and what a blessing that is, but uh, to that gentleman's point, yes, uh, it's a gift that God has given us, and uh, let us be bold.
0: absolutely so with the time we have remaining we're going to co- cover a couple of things in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 because that was my assigned text and I haven't even gotten there right so I knew I was going to have to do this but the reality is I, I felt like we had to get some context yes. we'll and understand good. <laughs> good. Yeah. so, so as, as Paul is talking right He says, now, as to the times and epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. Oh, that that were true in my life, right? I needed to know a lot more. Now I feel like I understand a little bit better. Verse two, but you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. And while they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon upon a woman with child and they will not escape. So I just want to talk through a, a couple of, of these phrases, and, and again, some of this, these phrases you're probably going, well, that sounds familiar. I, I kinda, I, I, that's something Jesus said, or that's something I heard in, in the Old Testament. But the times and the epics, he's really just saying the, the, what's, what's going to happen and when. right? The, one of the commentators, Hendrickson, um, calls it the duration periods and the appropriate seasons, which sounds really fancy and nice. And then he said, or more simply, the how long and the when, right? Concerning these things, you don't need to be taught ultimately because we don't know, right? Like Mark 13, 32 says, no one knows the day or the hour. The reality is, is it's not up to us to to calculate that out, but it's that we would be able to focus on what can we do now? What is our responsibility now? The reality is, is, is the day will come, verse 2, like a thief in the night. You know, and again, think about it. Thieves don't make appointments. That's
1: right. <laughs> they don't call up and say, hey, I was
0: planning on hitting your house about 3 o'clock in the morning. Is that okay? Yourself. Yeah, you know, it, it doesn't happen. I, you know, our, one of our favorite Christmas traditions is to watch Home Alone, right? That thief was smart. What is he doing at the beginning of Home Alone, if you've seen it? He's, he's going house to house and finding out which people are going to be gone. Because guess what? If they're gone, I can go in and I can steal everything I want, right? He's, he's not saying, hey, I'm going to be back next week to take care of some of your stuff. He's just kind of checking in. And I was thinking about that. This is, this is the thief that comes, right? They come when you're asleep. They come when you're out of the house. They come when you're not prepared. And we have to realize that, that we really can be prepared but we just don't know exactly for what day. You know, if you have company coming over and you know they're going to be here on Tuesday night, what do you do? You start cleaning. <laughs> you know, if you got five kids, you might start cleaning a couple days before um, <laughs> to make sure you're ready. You know, but if someone just pops in and shows up and you're like, "Ah, it's laundry day and there's stuff everywhere." And what do we do? You know, you're unprepared. The thief in the night. Guys, that's that's what this is going to come. It's going to come. We don't know. The reality is is our culture today does not believe this. That's right. right? Even a, a lot of our Christian culture really, I don't think believes this. They're in that mindset, and, and it's an echo of what some of the prophets and the leaders of Israel were saying in the Old Testament. They're saying peace and safety. It's okay. We're good. Right? We live in America, we have food, we have water, we have heat, and we have air conditioning, and we have all we need, and it's all right, it's going to continue on like this. The world says, in fact, that's all we've got. We better just get as much of it as we can. But we know that's not true. Right? There's echoes of, of Noah that, that in the days before the flood, everybody was going about their business. right, And then suddenly, the flood came. And these, most of the people were caught unawares. One of the commentators pictured it this way, and I, I like this picture just because it, I think it's apt. It says, The world in general will be eating and drinking, buying and selling, building and planting, marrying and giving in marriage when Jesus comes again. Meanwhile, like the artist on top of an ocean rock, painting the beautiful village on the shore, and so completely absorbed in his painting that he sees no danger and pays no attention to the returning tide. Though the waves lash higher and higher against the pedestal of his very temporary throne, so also the foolish and wicked people, fascinated with earthly charms, will not realize that judgment is creeping upon them, coming closer and closer, until very suddenly it overtakes them, catching them wholly unprepared. You know, I read, actually towards the end of last year, I read this this fascinating uh, account of the sinking of the Lusitania, which is really one of the main reasons that the U.S. got involved in World War One. Okay? A German submarine sank a, a non-military ship. And what's interesting is the Germans put in the paper, before the ship sailed from New York, were attacking the Lusitania. They made threats against the ship. The people were prepared in some sense. They had lifeboats. They had life jackets. They trained the staff every day on how to get the lifeboats out and get them dropped and all this stuff. They knew it was happening. They knew or they knew there was a chance of it happening. But when it finally came, the boat sh- uh, sank in 18 minutes. And 70% of the people on the boat because while they had boats, most of the people didn't know how to use them. Yes. While they had life jackets, most of the people didn't know how to use them. And hundreds of people died in life jackets because they put them on wrong. And they were forcing their bodies to, to have feet up and head down because of the way they put the life jackets on. You know, the reality is, guys, we have, even within the so-called Christian community a lot of people that are not ready. We have a lot of people that feel comfortable with their life jackets and they saw the lifeboats and they they think they're going to be good to go. But when destruction comes, they're not prepared. We've already talked about that there's unbelievers, right? People that don't even, for us to be Christians, that are not prepared. They're not even seeing they're not even caring, right They're at peace and safety. It's yes sir. Yeah, traffic, absolutely. Yeah. right? The truth of the scripture that teaches us in Jesus alone is salvation.
3: And also the people that doesn't, that don't believe in God knows that He's coming. One day I was in school and we were protesting about something, and somebody w- stood up and said, "What are we going to waiting for?" We're going to be like the gospel people. They are waiting for Christ a long time ago. When is he's going to come? Forget it. We have to go. So that means that they know that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. And it's easy. I mean, think about it. Okay, it's been 2,000 years. He hasn't come back, right? Well, let's just do our thing. You know, the reality is, is that we need to be prepared. And part of that preparation is warning and telling others. You know, C.S. Lewis had a quote that I thought was, was helpful. It says, It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffectual in this. You know, if we don't keep in mind the reality of this coming judgment, the outcome of what God has said will happen to all men who don't know him, then we, going to be out there preaching the gospel we're not going to be out there teaching others and that's my prayer that's the the thing i came away with is lord lord i need to do that help me to be more faithful in proclaiming the truth the truth of the coming destruction and the salvation that's available through jesus christ
1: in time he pointed out in one of his sermons that a thousand years in
0: Don't know when it's coming. Yeah. You don't it could be another thousand years, it could be tomorrow. No. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. It is just so you, you can't take a second guess back. Yeah. No. Yeah. No, he's he's clearly said we gotta be ready. Yes, ma'am. But all I can think about is we're
1: not promised today, whether the word is <laughs> got <laughs>
0: Oh, absolutely yeah I mean, yeah there's no promise for any of us to live up till the day of the the rapture right we don't know so anyway i i know that we didn't get into our text very deeply today but i hope this was helpful to you and it was it was good for me to just kind of understand this and see how the lord has accomplished his word throughout the centuries and the things that we need to be aware of as we talk to others well, let's close in prayer and then we can be dismissed. Lord, we thank you so much that you have revealed yourself to us. Lord, we thank you that you do not leave us on our own. That, that while we individually have done nothing, nothing at all to earn your grace, to, to warrant your love and your kindness to us. But you, Lord, because of your kindness, because of your grace, have chosen to place your love upon us. Have chosen to to work in our hearts and cause us to believe the truth of the gospel. Lord, we know, as we've studied through this, we know that we don't know exactly when things are going to happen. But we do know, we trust you, Lord, that you will do exactly as you said. Lord, let us not get wrapped up in the, the, the details of when and all those things, but let us say today, Lord, you have given me today that I might be faithful to you, that I might proclaim the message of your salvation to those that I come in contact with. Lord, help us not live our lives as though peace and safety were guaranteed. Help us understand that you will come very quickly like a thief of the night and we don't know the day or the hour that you come Lord, help us to be faithful to you help us even this week to take those opportunities that you give us in jesus name